Welcome to Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, I am so excited to be joined by Brad. How are you, Brad? I'm good, Tash. How are you? I'm really well. How's your week been? My week has been busy. Busy? Busy, busy. It's Friday today, um, so I guess hopefully you won't be working too much on the weekend. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. But uh, I think we, we all just go from one Zoom call to another these days, so... True, true. The weekend is needed. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, Brad, we are going to talk today about business agility transformation, which is I'm so excited to be having you here today and talking about this topic. But before we do that, there's a couple of questions I ask every guest who comes onto the podcast. And the first one is, what are you currently watching, reading or listening to? I did. I went and and, um, grabbed it. I've got a couple of books at the moment. Um, I'm reading Leading Beyond Change. Ooh. which has just been released by Michael and Audrey Sahara. So yeah, um, they are, they are um, uh, agile leadership um, uh, trainers and educators. They're based out in Toronto. Um, they run a whole bunch of um, uh, agile leadership programs that, that I've done. So they've just released this book. This is their third book, I think, maybe their second, Leading Beyond Change. Yeah, I'm going to grab that. I hadn't heard of that and it looks really good. Thanks for the recommendation. No problemo. <laughs> and what else are you reading? Uh, I've got another book which I haven't read actually, but it's written by a friend of mine and I'm dying to. So one's about change, which is what I do and, and what you do. Um, my other book, which is sitting there, and I'm so sorry, Cassie, but um, it's called Self Fidelity. So Self Fidelity is a book written by a friend of mine in here in Melbourne, um, which is about how to turn up at work and how to be yourself and how, how to bring your authentic self to, to the workplace in a corporate environment which has corporate pressures on it. Um, on you. So, so they're the two that are sitting on my bedside tables at the moment. Yeah, great. I've seen a couple of other people recommend that book as well. So that cover that you're showing is looking really familiar. So I'm, yeah. I've got to be, I've got so many books on my bookshelf at the moment though. Like I've talked about this on the podcast. I, um, yeah, I'm struggling to read books and I'm watching way too much TV and I'm having to <laughs> schedule reading time. Well, yeah. Um, so it's, it's becoming a, it's, yeah, it's a weird pandemic problem because I was never a TV watcher before and I've changed and now I need to break that habit. But also I've read a lot of books of people who are either coming on the podcast or I want to ask on the podcast. So they're kind Mm -hmm. of taking priority, but yeah, both. So I I say, yeah, I'm going to buy that. But then I go, well, you've already got 20 books that you have been sitting there waiting to be read. So, you know, there's that whole get through your backlog before you can, <laughs> you know, keep buying more books. So, but I will get to it and I'll make sure that those books are included in the show notes. Um, the other question is, what was the best piece of career advice you ever received? Ah, best, best piece of career advice I ever received. Um, I'd probably say, um, I mean, my, I've, I've grown a business is, is, is my story. So I've kind of mm-hmm. been through that, that, that path of um, growth and scale or, you know, startup and scale up, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the best advice I ever got is never sell. Just don't sell. Don't, you know, like selling has kind of gone out the window. Mm-hmm. So um, what you do is you find problems. And yeah. you see if you have solutions for those problems, but you never sell. And if yeah. there's a really good fit between humans or the services you offer and, and a problem statement, then it's not a sale. It's just a conversation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't know, like, you know, we're, our business is in four countries now. So, you know, we're, we're, we've done well. We just don't sell. And I would say even up to like a year ago, year and a half ago, we didn't even have any sales staff. And mm. uh, the first thing that we teach them is just don't sell, just have conversations, find problems and, see if there's value that we can offer and if we can't we go hey maybe you should speak to 
that person over there. So that's definitely the best business advice. That's amazing advice. And, you know, as somebody who is starting out the journey of their own business, I always thought I could never do sales. I could never sell because back, you know, when I was starting out my work career, like that very aggressive method of selling, you know, was the way or what I thought selling was. And, you know, before we hit record, you and I were catching up and having a bit of a chat. And I talked about how um, I was getting clients and it is exactly like you said, like either people are listening to my podcast or, you know, they're being referred by someone in my network or they mm-hmm. I've worked with them before and they know what I'm doing. And then we have a chat and it's like, oh, look, maybe that's not what I do, but maybe this person is the person that you need to speak to. Or it's, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we can work together. And I've never had to employ any kind of so, hardcore yeah. selling tactics. Um, and that seems to be okay. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I'd, that's great I'd, advice. I'd argue It goes further than that, I would say. I think that uh, leaders of today are so evolved, they can Mm. tell who's a salesman. The truth is hardcore selling just doesn't work, certainly not in the services game, because the the evolution of leadership and their emotional intelligence is so high now, Mm. they, they can feel it. And they, they, hate, they so, hate being sold they to because well, they would have that's so right. many people hitting them up course, with their tacky right. copy-paster sales. Because yeah. I'm getting them in LinkedIn. Like LinkedIn, you, you, as someone adds you and then when they open with the sales message, I just remove them as like, a camera. Whatever. No. Whatever. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just find problems. How are you going? No no one out there um, is smashing it. Everyone's, everyone's got needs help. Mm. The question is, is what help do you need and have you got a solution to it and it's fit right? That that's it, really. And then yeah. if that fits, that fit is right, and what your offer fits, then off you go and so, start solving problems. Yeah, amazing. No, that's great advice. Thank you for sharing it. Um, so onto the topic of today, which is business agility transformation. Starting at the very beginning, Brad, what is business agility transformation? At the beginning, <laughs> um, fundamentally, business agility is the ability for organisations to pivot. Fundamentally, so um, business agility uh, transformation is is enabling organisations to have the core capability to do that. Um, one of those, as you would know, is 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 agile. So agile is mm. a, is a component of it. But what we know from being I've been an agilist for a long time now, yes, um, uh, is that agile doesn't solve all the business problems. It's a really beautiful methodology at doing stuff and around delivering stuff really fast. It really been learning from market, but there are other problems that just doesn't solve. And business agility tries to take on larger problems. And the problems it takes on are things like, and they're really chunky t- subjects, are things like leadership and culture. Mm. So really culturally, what do you like? Do you know how to collaborate together or co-create together? Um, it takes on um, uh, pillars like um, lean portfolio prioritization. So are you even working on the right stuff? So, mm. you know, Agile will deliver it fast, but, you know, business usually will go, are we even working on the right things in market? Are there brand new opportunities outside of what we can even see at the moment? It'll talk about um, those. Uh, customer feedback loops, um, uh, talent acquisition. Um, uh, how do we get awesome talent, grow it and nurture it? So that will fall into um, the, the, the core competencies of um uh, of business of business agility and what metrics and things are we looking at to make sure that our organization is growing and and, and our view is is that a lot of people thought agile was going to be the answer mm. and it made improvements there's no debate from when i started and everything was waterfall well that's when we met like that was the first long... exposure that i had to agile and that was i think in 2011 
and yeah, everything was waterfall. Absolutely everything. everything and now everything yeah. is agile. It's all anyone talks about. Well, agile is, is an evolution from waterfall, but the truth is, is business agility is an evolution from agile. Yes. So we will not yes. talk about agile in the future. We will always talk business agility because it takes on bigger problems. Like, are we winning market share? Um, it'll take on, you know, um, what are, what is our EBITDA and our return? Like, where are we up mm. to? Um, where agile doesn't. It won't take on those big grand business-based problems. So business agility is much more aligned with um, executives and leaders. It's a much easier mm. conversation and, and it is their problems um, everywhere we go. Too much work, too many not clear on priorities. Um, the big one that it covers that we get a lot of work in is organizational structure and design. So how are, how are you structured to execute mm. and organizations are now recognizing that they can't externalize that problem they used to go hey one of the big boys get them to kind of restructure us mm. they're now recognizing they have to develop those those talents internally yeah. organizations need to be able to internally restructure themselves yeah. on cadence so now that's that's the land grab that's what they're trying to learn how to do how do we continually restructure ourselves internally and that and that is just a pillar of business agility amazing amazing um Oh, there were so many questions popping into my head while you were talking about that. But one thing I wanted to ask your thoughts on, you know, I know obviously we've had with the pandemic and COVID, probably it's one of the biggest disruptors to business and one of the biggest drivers of business agility in our time. And, you know, I think a report came out sometime last year and it was a McKinsey report. So, you know, make of that what you will, but saying that, you know, businesses who had higher levels of agility and who had adopted agile ways of working responded much quicker and much better were better placed to respond to the disruption of the pandemic so what are your thoughts do you think that's correct and do you think that that's driving um a greater need and requirement for business agility because i kind of felt like in australia like the agile transformations were made some of them were cooling and then that report came out and you know and everybody was talking about being agile again Mm. Mm. Uh, first of all, I think the strategy houses generally do have it right. They have super smart people mm. and they've been pumping agile and business agility for a while now. So um, uh, there is definitely a desire for organizations to go that way. Um, agile transformation, again, I don't, I don't think it solves the problems. I've seen very many large agile, organ agile transformations be in flight that cannot mm. handle COVID and the business agility movement. Primarily the reason they can't handle it is they actually don't have the right cultures in place to be able to pivot as fast as they need to. The yeah. ones that turn around and put the mindset first and do the cultural elements first, but really actually really live it. And I wouldn't mind giving some examples about what that actually Please. means. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Um, that means, you know, they're the ones that get the advantages out of it. So, so what's the difference between someone who's been through a agile transformation where it's worked and one that it hasn't. And I don't even like that term agile transformation, right? Like it's mm -hmm, organizational mm -hmm. transformation maybe. Um, we've been with a company that had a whole bunch of, you know, like, we'll, you know, we'll take this on and we'll try it. And inside their leadership team, they had um, I think three or four people, maybe I think there was about four of them who just weren't on board. Mm. You know, they just, they just were pulling against it. It yeah. wasn't, they, 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 everything was difficult. There was always, you know, conflict with inside it. And they had a moment where they had to go, well, are we doing this or are we not doing this? Are these our people or are, are they not our people? And we turned up one day and they were all gone. 
all of the naysayers, like they were like not part of the organization. <laughs> they were yeah. senior general yeah. managers. Yeah. And all of a sudden everyone went, oh, you just can't behave like that old culture, that, criti- that critical culture, that lack of co-creation culture. So organizations that are willing to actually take the hard conversations to go, well, who are we and who, who do we want to be and who do we not want to be? That does mean moving on senior leaders who can't make the transition or not yes. senior leaders, moving on anyone. Like, you well, know, like it's not for everyone. They can go and live in a different world, no, but no. organizations who can make that jump across the void and actually create a culture of people who really want to excitedly want to work to each other and go, Hey, that's a great idea, Natasha. Why don't we swarm around that? Mm. They're the ones who get the value out of it. The ones who just do scrum of scrums and, you know, visual management boards, they don't get the value out of it. So no, it, de- it depends is probably the answer. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was one of the other things that popped into my head when you were talking at the start of the conversation was, you know, the differences between, you know, business agility and, or business agility transformation and, you know, just an agile NWOW, FWOW type transformation is, you know, when you're speaking to leaders, because often like how do you have the conversation with them so that they actually understand the difference? Because I have seen so often leaders are like, yeah, let's be more agile. And you're like, okay, so <laughs> servant leadership. And they're like, no, not me, everyone else. I mean, like, you know, Kanban boards and stuff, sticky notes, whatever. Um, and then I find that, yeah, it's quite often so there are some senior leaders who don't quite understand what that means and they don't quite have the self-awareness of their need to change and get on board with it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's the, is there is there, i 100 agree is there a question there what's no the question? that was more a comment it was more a comment because <laughs> i wanted yeah i wanted to ask yeah. the question but then you kind of answered my question and i'm just saying yeah that's great because yeah, no, that absolutely. popped into my head i do think we're in transition what we're noticing is a lot more what we call green leaders so value orientated leaders in a more stronger positions now so um i think Five years ago, 10 years ago, there was a lot of red leaders, you know, command and control leaders. So we're mm-hmm. big, I'm a big fan of the Frederick Leloux Reinventing Organizations. So another mm. book, if you haven't seen it, it's um it's he color codes organizations. So are you red command and control? Are you orange political? Are you green value orientated or are you teal? And um, we have a lot more green leaders these days. And the thing with green leaders is green leaders love green leaders because yeah. they all co-create. Yeah. Um, saying that red leaders love red leaders, right? Because they're quite they're, they're, they're do as I, I say, but we, we, we're, we're past the shift now. We're seeing so many more green leaders in market who recognize the behaviors which they want mm. um, and they stand for it. And the great thing about green leaders is they're so coachable. They yeah. will ask for it. They're coachable. I um one of our one of our clients was um was Afterpay, and I worked with Nick Molnar, who's the CEO of Afterpay. Um, and the first time I met Nick, he's like, "Tell me, what do I have to do?" Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, Nick, you're like the man. He's like, yeah, yeah, but it's not working for me. Tell me how I should behave. Because green leaders, that's just how they operate. They're always asking for feedback on how they can get better, where the red leaders aren't like that. So, you know, the, I hope we just get more and more green leaders. And to be honest, mm. we'll probably get to a point where all the leaders are green. <laughs> and yeah. then we're just in a totally different cultural environment, which is where I believe I mean, we'll be there in five years, I think. Five yeah. years. I love that. Yeah. I'm excited because, yeah. like, I feel like agile, you know, is very aligned to just the way that I personally like to do things and I personally like organizations to run. And it's been so nice for me because, you know, when I started my career, I like management and leadership, it was command and control, 
reliance yeah. on the hierarchy and even like because I started my my first job out of school was working in banking so there was a bit of that you know Gordon Gecko Wall Street vibe as well and actually I saw that in you know other like companies throughout and so I'm so glad that that is actually I met you in a bank that we, we started yeah I know and I wasn't gonna say, <laughs> I think that was a bit of that sort of environment there as well oh yeah um, oh yeah <laughs> that's why I was like laughing a little bit but yeah I I think it, it's I'm so pleased to see that that those styles of leadership and you know which is also very male and you know like yeah, 80s or 50s or whatever you want to call it is on the way out and new styles of leadership are on the way in. And I'm loving it. Um, and I think you would be too, because it's just so much more preferable and enjoyable to work in that way. Um, but one question I did want to ask while we're still on the topic of leadership is what advice do you have for leaders who want to improve their business agility, apart from give you a call and, you know, work with Epic, of course. <laughs> uh, learn, educate yourself is probably one um so there's lots of really good books out there around um business agility and business agility domains so one is just um self-education there's courses you can go on so there's you know certification courses and things like you should do and that would be probably the the, the first place i'd start um but leaders need to understand this and um we get we're getting a lot of requests for this executive coaching yeah which is just knowledge gap filling because they're super smart they're like i don't understand what you're saying can we have a conversation where you can fill gaps in for me? Mm-hmm. And we'll just come back, you know, once a week or once a fortnight or once a month and we'll just go, hey, where are you up to? What are you missing? And fill gaps in. So executive coaching is one, one way to go, but there's lots of great books out there and podcasts out there, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much yeah. free content. There's great free content and yeah, loads of books. Okay. That's good. And then what are, if, if you are a leader or an organization who's wanting or trying to go on a, business agility journey what are some of the traps for new players that you recommend people avoid or don't do mm, good question i like that question my view on that would be that um you do not have the answers yeah that is is the simple simplest way no one has the answers um i think this is why large consulting firms fail because they like give us the answer yeah um, it's why leaders fail because they're like hey i've got the answer you know the truth is, is this is how change works and you know you, you please mm-hmm. correct me where, where where i'm wrong is that um you need to be able to co-create with the other leaders around you yeah and if you don't have leadership alignment nothing moves through so therefore if you have an agenda or have the answer if you think you have the answer and nobody else has inputted into it then it will fail yeah the yep. only way it can work is when you get to sit down with other important leaders and you all get to um you know put put a little piece into it and you've yeah. got to, you lose stuff. And then once you co-create together and once you get the concept of co-creation, then you're off to the races. So the biggest, the biggest failure that we've seen, the biggest learning is just, just strong leaders, you know, thinking they can do it by themselves and not bringing other people into the club, not creating a space for other people to input, not willing to, you know, um, have other ideas come in, even if they may not be their ideas. Um, that yeah. co-creation is the, is the, is the winner. Yeah, absolutely. No, I don't disagree with anything you've said. I think you, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I talk about co-creation a lot and, and, you know, it's in relation to change management because when we inflict change on people, um, they can go and they have change done to them and they're not part of creating the change or deciding what the change is. Like if you do that, the change will manage itself. Whereas if you're doing this, I'm, I, we've, you know, come up with this idea in a 
silo or a bubble and yeah and like and then you tell and they're like that's, that's a terrible idea and then people act it's surprised a, it's like well it's the same you know it's a people thing right it's a people thing mm. so i think i think you know what the difference is is change managers are better at understanding that or experienced change managers are for that matter so you guys naturally co-create the yeah. difference is a business agility we are just playing at such a bigger game with yeah. we're talking about leadership and executive leaders mm. so getting executive leaders to recognize they need to co-create yeah. It's just a different conversation. And often at that level, depending upon the organization, they may have been like, you know, politically fighting against each other for a while. So, you know, there's mm. they already have walls up. So a lot of about is teaching them how to actually build relationships with each other, which I find hilarious. Yeah. And then a lot of it is about sharing vulnerabilities. Like if you want to know where to start on a transformational journey, start sharing who you are with mm. your peers. Like yeah. start being vulnerable because that is the first step of you know, building relationships and that's a first step of co-creation. But most people can't be vulnerable and, mm. a, and a lot of senior leaders don't want to co-create, they want to criticise and you're doomed for failure from the beginning if that's the executive culture you've got in play. That's great. That's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's, um, yeah, really good points there. Do you have any other tips or pieces of advice for the audience that you'd like to share? <laughs> uh, about um, what we do or just about the, the the transformational journey that what we see or what, we, what we've learned on the journey maybe yeah what you've learned on the journey that would be great yeah yeah cool um uh, a couple of things yeah a couple of things is um uh, listen first or we call visualize the system so you know before you make any decisions try to spend some time just listening to it or seeing it we love color coding because we get to kind of see what it looks like um and then visualize that with a group so we you know that so some people just jump in it's really important to to see you know to, to see what you're playing with or, or to see where an organization is up to um co-design we talked about co-design what you're going to do and co-design it in very small increments so the the standard yeah. transformational journey is, is quarterly chunks so don't mm -hmm. try to build it out further than that because by the time you get to the quarter you're going to find a whole bunch of you'll solve problems, but you'll find more new problems. So don't build out a change roadmap for transformation any more than three months. I would even argue that's too far out. Wow. Um, yeah. But we definitely, we, we definitely um, iterate every month on mm -hmm. all our major uh, engagements because we just learn stuff all the time. Um, yeah. yeah, so, so see the system, um, co-create, and then iterate the system would be in there. And the other one, which I think is really important that we've learned is to expand the system. So you may start with one or two leaders, but you need to continually go and great. Are we going bigger than this now? Is there is oh, maybe we need to get Tash involved or maybe we need mm. to get someone. So, and some people will leave and some people will join because um, change and transformation, especially on over an organization is a growing living thing. So mm. you've got to let it grow and live, but if it's static, yeah. it generally won't have the impact that it could have if, if it was more liberated and free. Does that, does that make sense? You know, yeah. kind of, yeah, yeah, it absolutely yeah. does. I think freeing yourself from, you know, the shackles in change, a lot of people are wedded to a particular methodology. So they might not be able to free themselves from their templates or, you know, whatever methodology they're aligned to. So I think, yeah, allowing and, and also change, change managers are often control freaks. Mm -hmm. And so they want to control that. So, but allowing it to just 
evolve and can, as long as it continues to move i agree i agree 100 yeah. i would I, I would argue human beings are control freaks like ultimately yeah. especially successful human beings have often got there because of control so unfortunately what we're teaching and preaching is unnatural and i must say like even for myself it's unnatural to let go and not have mm. an agenda and just turn up and listen and take that on especially when you're there to have an agenda yeah. So it's a it's a human thing, um, but at least if, if you're talking about it, and you can continue to reflect on letting go, um, then it's really interesting what comes up because you just got, you just see this like huge amounts of value that you might not have seen that you can then just double down on and, and you know grab these beautiful opportunities really yeah. by creating the space. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're just all you're focused to doing is sticking to a plan, no matter what you learn along the way, of course you're doomed to fail. Or maybe not fail, but not get as much value out of the exercise as you would if you actually, you know, did things yep. in an agile way. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah. We work with um, we work with um, uh, Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre, and um, they've been totally shut down through the COVID period. And they were like, "I could have got this space," and they didn't have anything. They don't have anything to do with the space, right? No one can go outside five kilometres of their region. Mm. Um, and they just created all these spaces for innovations, and they've done some they've done some such amazing things culturally they've got the right culture but then they just started coming up with ideas like you know let's have a the biggest drive-in um uh, um uh, what is it C- cinema in the southern hemisphere what do you call them when you drive drive-ins you know drive-in yeah drive-ins yeah, yeah so they partnered with a village and now they run drive-ins in their car parks so people can go watch cinemas and never have to leave their car and then they've got a kitchen so then you can cater for it and then they bring their food out to you like ideas that wouldn't have got up if they didn't have the space or the culture to be able to and that's just one of their ideas they've done so many amazing things that they're shooting you know hollywood movies in there and you know because they created the space and they had the culture to allow that 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 to come to life really i love that drive-ins are back because of covid (laughs) that's one i'm like oh because they were really i think there was just the coburg drive-in left in melbourne and or maybe it closed dramana no dramana's got one okay but the coburg one reopened uh, it's probably not open, but yeah, that fact that drive-ins are now back because of social distancing. I'm like, well, that's a silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Tash, so I've got a question for you. Yeah. Great. Cause we both work in overlapping fields. You know, I work in mm. transformation, organizational transformation. You work mm-hmm. in change management. My question for you is this is, is do you think there's a difference between um, a great change manager implementing change at a squad level, like rolling things out to, to the market and an organizational change manager who, who's rolling change out internally within inside an organization. Do you think there's a, a difference or do you think they're the, the, the same people? And, and if, if there's a difference, what are the differences between, you know, those squad change managers and organizational mm. change? Yeah, that's a great question. And I do think there's a difference, but I also think, you know, obviously if you're a change manager who is really good at executing, and you're good at rolling out those projects, then of course that is something that you can become. Um, And it's probably a transition I'm trying to make or am making myself. So I think the key difference is there's sometimes change is seen as an order taker. So, you know, here's my change manager, write the comms, please, you know, comms and training, do the training. Um, So that, that you need to kind of rise above that level of, being very good at executing and, you know, working hard and getting the job done to being somebody's trusted advisor. 
So getting, I think the change managers who really operate well at that level, they are able to speak to leaders on a level that is not just project and transactional. They Mm. are the trusted advisor to that leader. So the leader goes to them and asks for their advice on, you know, whatever's going on with the transformation or ask them, you know, for their, their view on certain things. And I think making that transition from delivery person to trusted advisor is key. And what, what I would say to change managers, and, you know, this is advice that was given to me is there's a guy called Daryl Connor, who is one of the founding fathers or people of change management and his whole deal is trusted advisor preparation and raising your game and I actually just enrolled in his advanced trusted advisor course um so I would recommend um and it and it's not just for change managers it's for anyone who wants to Mm. get themselves and be working effectively with executives so I would recommend um following him and reading some of his essays like he's done he's done heaps of articles in HBR um so that that would be uh, that has been my go-to and I've now signed and it's fun it's so funny because I wanted to do I signed up for a course he came to Australia four years ago and then he changed the dates and I pulled out because it clashed with a holiday and I went oh he'll be back he never came back because he's based in the United States and then last year I thought well maybe I'll go to the US and do his course there because I still really want to do it and then COVID happened and now he's doing an Australian cohort, but he's doing it remotely. So it's early in the morning. So I'm like, and it's like really bad timing for me because <laughs> I'm so busy, <laughs> but I'm like, I need to do this course. So there's that, there's Daryl Connor. And I think as well in the way that you like operate with leaders is very different to how you operate on a project. So again, like yeah. it's talking more, it's a very strategic view and I think you need to ha- be able to have that strategic view, but still also understand how things are going to get done and what steps you need to take. But instead of rolling out one project, it's like, well, if we want to, you know, be this type of organisation or we want our culture to be this, you've still got to be able to accurately break down all the steps and all the things that need to happen to get there because that's what a change manager does, right? They analyse okay, how do we get, because well, that's what change management is all about, is getting to the desired future state, achieving the vision, right? So it's that smooth transition. So you still need to be able to think about that at a granular level, but instead of thinking about, okay, well, you know, I take the tech, you know, the user stories and at the project kind of level, you've got to be able to articulate that well for abstract concepts, Mm. such as culture, and leadership and it's like well how do we get the baseline and how do we measure that it's working so I think all of the same skills are still very valid you've just got to take it to a more strategic level that is going to be better received by leaders and I think as well like you've got to be willing to have difficult conversations which is the same as if you're doing change on a project because there's you've got to be able to influence without authority because you don't have authority you don't have because you don't have a place in the hierarchy that's above these leaders you know you're often below them Um, and even if you're brought in as a consultant like you you know they might be paying you but that doesn't mean that like they still have authority over you because they're your clients so influencing without authority is key um, which helps you become the trusted advisor but also you've got to be willing to be critical um, push back on ideas and you know put your own thoughts and experience out there in a way that isn't going to get you removed (laughs) 
from mm-hmm. from that organization or that project. So you can't just blindly do what you're told, um, which in a project change management situation, that's a very easy trap to fall into and yep. sometimes does happen. Uh, but you need to be able to actually, you know, go toe to toe with that leader and have a conversation about whatever it is they're trying to change. Mm. Yeah. Oh, what, what we've noticed, the difference between change management and transformation change management is in transformation, the world is continually changing. Mm. And um, uh, change managers try to embed change, but when it's always changing, we found some can't make the transition because they're yeah. trying to embed the change. I love your comment before that change managers are control freaks, right? Yeah. And that makes sense to me, right? Because they're trying to embed it. But mm. when it's continually changing, that's really difficult because they've got to let go and go, great, where are we? Yeah. now so I, I think there is a gap to be honest between agile transformation organizational change mm. and the change management community there is. and about yeah. that, that, that there's a gap there they, there they, they work around each other but but they could work better together they absolutely can and you know this is part of the reason I've got a delivering change in agile environments workshop which next one's in a couple of weeks by the way um, because I do believe that change just like you know waterfall project management got disrupted by agile like agile is the way forward and this is how companies like you said before within five years all companies will be working this way so one thing that constantly surprises me is why more change managers why change managers in general i know there's some great ones out there are not doing more to upskill and educate and future proof themselves because, uh, and I think it was, you know, I realized a few years ago, like we met on a project in a bank and that was my first experience doing agile ways of working. And after that, uh, you know, I learned a lot. And then after that, I was working in other organizations that were agile. Yeah. And I realized a couple of years, maybe two or three years ago that I went, I'm actually quite experienced working, doing change in agile environments. And I've had opportunities to try things out and I've sought out, you know, like lean change and who's writing books or who's doing the work or who's got really interesting content, who's doing change in that area. And there's a few people, but I have to say like as a whole, yeah, what you've described is a very common problem and it's a problem that gets described to me quite often Mm -hmm. because change managers are still relying on their waterfall methodologies and their waterfall ways of working and they're not actually changing with the times. And I am finding like I hang out and tend to get along better with people in the agile community. And I feel like there's more of a place for me there than, than the mainstream change Dream, management yeah. community. And, um, you know, and I, I'm very vocal about this on the podcast and I have a, like, that's why I get a lot of agile people. But the other thing is I feel like at the core of change management, it is so similar to Agile. And I say to change managers, like how often have you written a comms plan and got it signed off and you've stuck to that comms plan to the letter? You don't. You change based on what you learn. Like you go, okay, that didn't land. It needs to yep. come from a different leader or that needs to be a face-to-face message as opposed to sending it in an email, yep. which is why that didn't work. That's that's Agile, right? That's just, you know, experimentation yep. and learning. And, you know, or change managers are always begging companies to do a pilot rather than a big bang go live that's more of an agile approach and they don't realize. And I feel like so much of what we, how we inherently practice change is just so aligned to agile. So I, I'm really 
I don't understand the level of resistance towards agile that's happening within the change community at the moment. Oh, so, yeah, I said that. I said yeah. what I said. Yeah. Do you see that really? Yeah. 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 Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 And, and by the way, that it, it's the other way. Like I think from the, for, I mean, I'm an agile coach, right? So as from a coaching perspective, we can learn so much from change managers about how to mm. properly do change. Like we are not experienced yeah. at the implementation of yeah. change. What we are very experienced at is techniques, strategies, structures, um, and, and mechanisms to be able to make ideas flow faster. To be and able that's to get what I'm trying to learn more of because I'm like in my, I do go on, you know, study scrum and stuff in my part, in my spare time to go, cause I want to learn them as much as I can about agile ways of working so that I can better apply change to it. Cause I think there's still a gap, not that, you know, methodologies are the be all and end all, but I think there's a couple of um, lean and agile change methodologies out there, but I think that there could, there's a lot more work that can be done in that space. And what you said about being agile, like I think, what people you know if you go and do your scrum or you're safe or you become an agile coach what they don't teach you is change management so they these you know fresh coaches go out there and they're trying to implement agile ways of working or whatever it is they're doing mm -hmm. and they start mm -hmm. running into problems and what they're not nailing is the change management that's what the problem that consistently people tell me that they run into and yeah i think there is a lot of you know and it's not to say there's no value in waterfall change management or the you know yep. the foundational stuff there's a lot of value in understanding that and even understanding things like you know the eight steps which is obviously way too many steps and they all happen at the same time now <laughs> not 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 in it's a yeah it's like <laughs> steps 1 to 12 and you know all at once but yeah i mean there's value in knowing that but i think yeah for the agile community like there's, I do think that there's a lot we can do to help each other because, you know, yeah. we're seeking to learn more about agile and you're seeking to learn more about change for sure. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. And, you know, like in the business agility domain, we have a pillar um, that we often refer to as make it stick. Yeah. Um, and it is about making sure the right talent is in. We do have that in there, but we also change and comms squarely sits in there. So we recognize mm. it from a business agility. This is again, one of the issues with agile. Agile doesn't recognize the role of change within no. the embedding of it, but business agility does. So it looks yeah. at that bigger picture of sticking. Um, what we do notice, though, is that, as I say, with the, depending upon the speed of change, and some organizations want to change fast, some change managers can't find it difficult to make that transition. They do. Because, it's, and too, the reason, it's, it's too much. And it always makes you laugh. There's too much change for change. Come on. This is when you guys should be like, job. you know, change showing yourself. your muscles, right? But that's, that's a capability <laughs> issue. When change managers can't handle that type of, it's because they are falling, they're relying on methodologies that while they may be dominant in the market, they're no longer what, is working Spot and on. they don't have the capability or the know-how to pivot and use different methods like, you know, and they need to adopt more of an MVP approach. So instead of a change plan, that's 50 slides, they probably just need to do a strategic change canvas, which is one page. Yep. And you can do that per sprint and it takes an hour or, you know, you just get the right people in the room and yeah, they're not, um, but because they're not seeking out the knowledge and learning that for themselves, they're then struggling. And I'm seeing a lot of, I'm hearing a lot of stories about that from people I know in the agile community. And in some ways it's giving change managers a bad name and it's making us as a profession, not be respected. Yep. 
Yeah. 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 And by the way, there are some amazing change managers that I've worked with, right? So, so there are some that I have learned personally from, mm. and I have actually stolen the skills that I have seen them do, and I apply them in my world yeah. because they are so impressive. Of um, uh, certainly around, you know, that relationship building, um, engagement, um, uh, making sure that people actually have the opportunity to ask questions and feedback loops, like, you mm-hmm. know, that stuff mm-hmm. you guys are the masters at. And as our coaches, we take it and learn from it yeah, because your because yeah. your your engagement mechanisms are are great, and your ability to create space and listen is is great. So um, you know it's it's a it, as you say, I think there's an opportunity to meet in the middle mm. where both people have their skills, but in actual fact, we're working really tightly together, the coaches and the, and the change agents, to be to to implement more systemic change. Yeah, because I do believe yeah. I get asked a lot, does change have a place in agile? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm also recognized the huge level of bias that I carry when I answer that question because that's my change management is my career. So, of course, I yeah. want there to be a place because I want to be in the action. But I do genuinely believe that, yes, there's always going to be a place because no matter and it, no matter what you call the role, like maybe in the future, it's not going to be called change management and it's not going to be a yeah. product. You know, there will be emerging of different roles or hybrid, you know, who knows how, where it's going to go. But like you said, someone's always going to need to be responsible for making sure the comms are hitting the mark, making sure the leaders are leading and role modeling the change and coaching them to do that. And, you know, making sure that the voice of the customer or the voice of the end user is being heard and the co-creation is happening, like whether that's a change manager or whether it's a product owner or whether the agile coach does it, like it still needs to happen. Like it's never going to stop happening. So whether, I don't know, we all merge and we have some brand new job title that would, but, you know, so whether it's called change management or not, I don't care, but I just can't see that going away. Agile change manager. Agile change agent coach. Oh, yeah. I I did an ACA. That's what I get me an agile change agent. (laughs) Maybe. But I've seen the senior change agents give the response you did before your, you know, your Daryl Connor response that, Mm -hmm. um, hey, we need to have the trusted advisor status. I've actually seen that fail because a lot of senior change agents come in and they want it, but they don't have the domain expertise for transformation. I've seen that too. So what happens is, is yeah. they're like, I want to be the trusted advisor, but I don't know. I don't understand organizational, tra- I don't understand business agility. Yes. So they get into the conversation, but they add no value. And then yes. all of a sudden they get removed. So yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. So if they have the, if they, if they understand the domain, no problems, right? They're better though, to be part of a team that is, has got the domain knowledge as yeah. well, rather than working yeah. out in isolation. No, you're absolutely right. Because in order to level up and get that trusted, that coveted trusted advisor badge, um, you do need to know your shit. And if you don't know your shit, you're not going to be the trusted advisor. So Visor, you do need right. to do that's the hard right. yards, doing the project delivery and making the mistakes and getting the learnings and the lessons learned before you, you know, which actually gives you the credibility to come in and say, look, when I did this here or I've done this 10 times and what I can tell you from that is blah. So I think, yeah, a lot of people, you know, maybe they go and do the trusted advisor course or what, you know, whatever it is, but it does need to be earned. And like, I don't know, like I was reflecting how many times I've been the trusted advisor versus the order taker. And I reckon it's about maybe 50, 60%. But mm. as I've moved 
forward in my career because in your career you tend to work with the same people again because you worked with them once and you both enjoyed you working together yeah, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. like they had so there's been a lot more so when that happens when you're working with someone you've already worked with you got along well you have an established relationship you automatically get the trusted advisor badge because you earned it in the last role so I found like maybe the first you know half of my career it was less because I was junior I was learning and then the last five or six years it's been a much higher percentage but as a change manager and I don't know if this happens to you in the agile world but sometimes you get brought in and you know you're usually doing some sort of project delivery but then they hear oh well maybe you know you can help us with this this and this or you've got a lot of experience in agile change maybe you could talk to us about agile and I'm like okay so you start doing it and then you're like oh you start running into some problems because while you may have been asked by someone who you are the trusted advisor to everybody else isn't really down with the what you're doing and you know they still see you as I just want the change in the comms please so can you just get me some email drafts that's you know and go away Um, does that happen in agile where you've got you brought in by one stakeholder and then you start trying to get that same level of enthusiasm in other parts of the organization (laughs) it's just not wanted (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, to be honest, as coaches, this is kind of what we lean into, right? To yeah. understand, because generally the system needs to operate correctly to be able to get the value through it. So we are always looking for parts of the system that aren't engaging, you know, red parts of a green system or green parts of a red system for that matter to be. But, um, you know, like I think what we teach certainly around business agility is that if people don't understand it, you can't execute it. Mm. And, you know, I probably fully encourage not just business leaders, but change managers too, to understand what business agility is. So it's great you're learning about Agile. That's great. But Scrum Mm. is a squad level framework. Business agility is an organizational framework. And if change managers and senior change managers want to be able to be change managers in organizational change, they need to understand the business agility pillars and foundations Mm. so they can be trusted advisors. Yeah. You can't turn up that without that domain expertise. So, you know, probably to be honest, even talking in the podcast with you, Tash, I'd probably encourage senior, uh, senior change managers to go and get that education because I'm seeing a gap. I was about to say, it sounds like I need to do your course (laughs) after I finish my trusted (laughs) advisor course. No, there is a gap. It's not only the gap gap in the how to do the projects, but there's a gap in the knowledge at that sort of transformation level. Um, Yeah, no, I agree. I think I, I probably am going to do your course, you know, upskill myself because you're right. We, we can hang it. We can hang out more then. So where can people get more Brad? Have you got any courses or speaking engagements coming up? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have a we have a training um, side of our business. So we, we run, you know, standard kind of foundations and scrum master product training and agile coach training. We, we, I mean, we, co- we, we, we certify and teach. Um, coaches, but also business agility um, foundations training. So what are the pillars? What are some of the techniques to be able to evolve and move the pillars? So we have that that training in our um, training catalogue. Cool. Um, speak, yeah, yeah. So, you know, more people are more than welcome to come and um, uh, learn more, really, if that's, if that's you know, if any of those, you know, ideas uh, or are there problems, you know, and they can resonate with them. There's certainly more than jump on, jump on a course, come and talk to us, of course too easy well people listeners you know what to do um brad it's been an absolute delight having you on the podcast today to have this conversation so thank you so much for coming and for the listeners this is actually the last episode of casa de cambio for 2021 so i hope you've enjoyed it and i will be back in 2022 with more content but yeah thank you brad
pleasure. And um, keep up the great work, um, uh, Tash. It's um, great to see you out there and great to see you know, sharing all the knowledge that you've picked up um, over the years. So big kudos to you and um, all the best going forward. Thank you so much.